Wake up, America, before it's too late. The Steve Day Show. And greetings. Happy Thursday. Welcome to the Steve Day Show here live and on demand on Blaze TV, radio and podcast. I am Steve Dace. He's Totters and he is Aaron McIntyre. And if you love shows with a heavy theological bent, today is your day because you're going to get pretty much eh, the first 90 minutes of today's show counting the commercials so the first three segments are going to be very theologically inclined theologian frank turek will join us at the bottom of this hour uh next hour we'll continue theology thursday looking at tony evans's book kingdom politics and i i think we have come upon the first section of this book that will be a challenging thing to navigate theologically uh and it's actually on the issue of life and what does that mean um, does it mean more than abortion or just abortion? So we'll get into that coming up on Theology Thursday, and then my oldest will join us later for three non-political questions. So if you are a Theo nerd, I know what you're thinking. Let's get this show on the road. I agree. So here's Aaron's rundown of what happened while we were away. What happened while we were away brought to you by this. RFK Jr. held a town hall with News Nation last night. When he was asked to attack Donald Trump, here's how he responded. You say that you're a Democrat, um, but you're getting a lot of support from a, a lot of leading voices on the right, like Steve Bannon, Tucker Carlson, Alex Jones, former President Donald Trump. Many Democrats fear that you're a spoiler in the race, that you will damage President Biden in the primary and grease the skids for former President Trump to return to the Oval Office. This week, former President Trump said about you, Kennedy is smart and he's a common sense guy. What kind of man do you think Donald Trump is? Well, you know, here's what I'm not going to do in this race. I'm not going to attack other people personally. I don't think it's good for our country. And I think, you know, what I'm trying to do in this race is bring people together, is to try to bridge the divide between Americans. And guess what? The, you know, when my dad died and we took this train ride from, you know, this seven and a half hour train ride that was supposed to be two hours. I brought his, I was with him when he died in Los Angeles. And then we brought his body from, uh, from New York, Penn Station to Union Station and Washington, D.C. And there were, there were, it was a two and a half hour ride, but it took seven and a half hours because there were two and a half million people on that train track. And, and it was the cross section of America and all of the major urban stations in Trenton, Newark, uh, uh, Wilmington, and Baltimore. There were black Americans singing Battle Hymn of the Republic. There were whites on the, in the rural areas who were who holding up signs, goodbye, Bobby, pray for us, Bobby, American flag, standing, saluting. Four years later, and they had supported my father in the primaries in 1968. Four years later, in 1972, they were not supporting my father, and they were not support. They were not supporting George McGovern, who was aligned with my father on all these issues. Instead, the vast majority of them were supporting George Wallace. And you know, there, my father was able to harness these populist energies. In the last day of his life, he won the most rural state in this country, South Dakota, and the most urban. He was able to bridge the divide among people who would otherwise be Republican 
but wanted somebody who was common sense, who was able to appeal to their idealism, who was able to find the hero in each of them, who was able to get them to transcend narrow self-interest and see themselves as part of a community and part of this you know, incredible American adventure in, in modeling self-governance for the rest of the world. And so I'm proud that President Trump likes me, even though I don't agree with him on most of his issues. I'm, because I don't want to alienate people. I want to bring people together. I'm proud that all these people like me and that I have independent supporters and Democratic supporters and that I'm able to bring a lot of people. You know, every Democrat says, I want to end the polarization. But how do you do that without talking to people who don't agree with you? How do you do that without appealing to people? Without the pur My purpose is to find the issues, the values that we have in common, rather than, you know, focus on the issues and the personalities but that keep us all apart. And that's what happened while we were away. I have a lot to say about what you just heard. And much of it is spiritual. I'm not even sure because I don't know him that well. I mean, I, I spent a day with Bobby Kennedy in January. Spent a day with him. Talked to him at length, privately. Uh, we appeared together on uh, my man Jason Whitlock's show for um, a, a, you know, a lengthy period of time. But, you know, and we talked about a lot of things. I heard him mention religion and spirituality, but I don't know him personally. I, you know, I know like a lot of Kennedys, he has a bit of a history with the ladies um, and scandal and things of that nature. I can also see a man who's at 70 now and is, is, is seeing how we are on the brink of the mouth of madness as a people. And, you know, that'll give you a perspective and mature you real quick on what's truly important and, and you know, uh, where your true treasure is. I want to state, though, before I get into the broader themes of what I heard him say there, I want to state a very a simple political fact. When he talked about a three-hour train ride took over seven hours because of the amount of people that stood on the tracks to salute us, to mourn with us as we brought my father's body back to New York. I, I just want to show you, for those of you that, and I wasn't alive in 1972. I was born the next year. I think you were born that year, That's right? the year of my birth, yes. Right. Aaron was not a gleam. Minus 20. Yes. For those of you that don't know, Richard Nixon won the 1972 presidential election by the largest margin of popular vote in the history of the two-party era. 61 to 38. The popular vote margin in the 1972 presidential election was 23 points. 23 points! For Nixon. For Nixon. Coming out of the summer of love, coming out of the protest era, the civil rights era, Vietnam, which... You know, those of you that are boomers, you would know that this is the most divided this country has been since since post-Civil War and Reconstruction, since that era is what we are right now. And I would argue maybe worse. And Nixon won that election by 23 points. He we, we, there just weren't as many electoral college votes then. Um, or the, I'm sorry, they were proportioned different then. And so 
like Reagan, remember Reagan won every state but one in the District of Columbia. Nixon did the same. Nixon won every state but one in the District of Columbia. It's just the way the electoral votes were allocated then were different than 1984. So according to the Electoral College map, Reagan's win is the greatest romp ever. Now, listen, man, Reagan won the popular vote by 19 points. No no slouch. But 23 points is what Richard Nixon won the popular vote by in 1972. That is such an important point Bobby Kennedy just made there. Such an important point. To that juxtaposition of what was going on in the country. And when he said George McGovern embodied many of the issues my father talked about. And then he was repudiated by the electorate basically as a nut. He ended up putting a vice president on his ticket who admitted to electroshock therapy, if I remember the history correctly. Just it was a disaster. Nixon didn't do a debate, knew he didn't have to. So what's the difference between Robert Bobby Kennedy Sr. and George McGovern? What's the difference? Why were, why were the railroad tracks lined with people to salute Bobby Kennedy? And then when George McGovern runs on his agenda, it is resoundingly repudiated. Let me ask this question another way. One that's maybe going to hit a little closer to home. How come independents are with us on all these issues? The border, mutilation, indoctrination of the kids. They're pulling with us more than ever before. It's like the 80s again. Like independents are the most right wing they have been since the Reagan era in response to what happened with Carter and, and the crime in the cities and independents moved way right. Do you know that in 1980, 28% of the electorate was registered Republicans? 28%! Reagan beat a sitting president and a third-party candidate, a Republican congressman who thought he was too right-wing named John Anderson, who ran specifically to spoil Reagan's candidacy. So he's up against an incumbent president. Historically, they went about 70% of the time, regardless of the name. He's up against an incumbent president. They've put a John Kasich in there nationally to spoil Reagan. John Anderson, congressman, Republican from Illinois, if I remember right. And only 28% of the electorate is Republican. And he, and he wins in a rout. Barry Goldwater ran on these same issues in 1964. He got destroyed. What's the difference? What, what's the difference of Reagan's agenda in 1980 and Barry Goldwater's in 1964? What's the difference in Bobby Kennedy's agenda in 1968 and George McGovern's in 1972. And now we're sitting here in 2020 heading into the 2024 cycle. That's why I thought there was going to be a red wedding last year. I'm watching the issues and independents are with us on all these issues. And I'm thinking, okay, they're with us on the issues. Trump's not on the ballot. So no Trump excuse this time. They, they can't say uh, orange man bad. So kill the country. All right. No way, man. Didn't happen. And we're seeing this again right now. If you took Trump's agenda and pulled independence with it, they'd love it. They don't love him. Let me talk about me and how I view politics for a second as a Christian. Because I, I've, I feel a constant tension. And I think I should. 
Actually, I think that's the way it's supposed to work. And I think all of us who are believers should feel this tension between Father, forgive them. They know not what they do to not today, Satan. There should be this constant tension. And, and we have to understand that the heart of our Lord is that mercy triumphs over judgment. And that the, the cross is the ultimate example that Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Does triumph over not today, Satan. But the scriptures are also clear that there's a point in time where not today, Satan is, okay, this has to be dealt with right now. This has got to happen right now. Moses comes down from the mountain with 10 commandments. A direct revelation from God. God's grace emblazoned on these tablets. His signature to reveal himself and his character to his people. He comes down from the mountain and he sees this orgy, a literal orgy happening. They executed some of those people, guys. They left that part out of the Ten Commandments Charlton Heston movie. They executed hundreds of them, if I remember right, Todd, from the yeah. scriptures. Yes. Just, they, that has to be purged. Not, to, not today, Satan. Moses came down from the mountain with mercy triumphs over judgment, guys. Here's almighty God's revelation of how to live a good life and, and stay out of his, and stay in his good graces. And he looks down to the mountain in the valley. He's like, that can't happen. Not today, Satan. And so that was a moment when, okay, we're going to put mercy triumphs over judgment. Right now, though, going to need a little judgment here. And we're going to purge that. And that's got to get out of the ranks. That got to take that tumor, get rid of it. And they did. And he made the very priests who did not uphold their position or the line or the people or the, or the, or the, the man who had found the line of priests. He made them actually execute that law, literal execution. For a generation, the Christian church in America has lived in this place of mercy, triumphing over judgment. And then I see something, my old, uh, my old, my old hero, Newt Gingrich, wrote this morning over at Fox News. This is the last straw. We're going to out there, go out there and actually chant, we are coming for your children. Nope. And I mean, now Newt writes something that like um, Jerry Falwell Sr. and uh, uh, D. James Kennedy and James Dobson could have written in 1982 about what to do with the gay rights movement. I mean, it's a, it's a call to arms is what Gingrich writes. This, it's, I tweeted it out if you want to read it. No mercy, man. Basically, fire up the Zeppelin no quarter baseline. That is what Newt Gingrich wrote today. That, that, no, nope, nope, not happening. Not stop. Not today Satan wins out because this is too evil. That can't, can't be abided, can't happen. And so there's, the, but there is this constant, right now, I don't, right now I don't feel as much of that tension as I do most of the time because I think it's pretty obvious not today Satan is the call. Is the call. Fair? Sure. And if I'm wrong, then I don't even want to know what not today. I don't want to know how bad it has to get before not today. Satan becomes the call. Mm -hmm. But without the extremes we're seeing today, there should be for you as a believer, a tension between father, forgive them. They know not what they do and not today. Satan. And you should err, err on the side of father, forgive them because that you, we show love because he loved us. The same God that showed us love also will has permitted a hell. And its cages are full as we speak. So there is a point when not today Satan takes precedence. And I think we're at that point. 
So therefore, when it, when it comes to issues and policies, I will go to the mattresses on that. Because the issues and policies, as I see it, and I could be wrong, but since my name's on the, t- on the show, I think you should know what, is, what makes me tick and what drives me. The issues and policies we're talking about today are the kinds of things that determine the futures or lack thereof of lives and cultures. And I think fighting for my neighbor to have access to the good, the true, and the beautiful actually is loving my neighbor as I love myself. However, I also have no interest in making my neighbor an enemy over nothing. That nothing that really matters in the end. Slobbering partisanship, uh, promoting someone's personal pseudo-messianic branding um, when neither are likely to deliver in enough, with enough significance and substance that would make alienating a, my neighbor unnecessarily worth it. It's, I guess what I'm trying to articulate here is when it comes to a culture war, there's just war theory for that too. Is the juice worth the squeeze? Is the collateral damage worth the alienation? Worth the cause? Is the alienation worth the cause? And that's why I haven't often fit in during this era, frankly. That's why I'm often, oh, you're that guy in this era. And, and what I hear and see RFK seeing in that clip is he's, and, and, and I don't know that he would put it this way, but this is what I see with a biblical worldview. He is trying to take the idolatry out of politics and instead replace it with idealism again, instead. Bobby Kennedy was an idealistic figure. And so people that would probably not vote for his agenda on a straight up and down lined the tracks to salute him and mourn him. Reagan was an, idea, was, an, was an idealistic figure. And so people who would largely not vote for him did because he inspired them. George McGovern didn't inspire. Instead, he freaked everybody out. And people just thought this is Timothy Leary in a suit. This can't happen. Donald Trump inspires about 30 to 40% of our base and nobody else. And that's why we face this constant tension right now with the electorate more in favor of our agenda at large, writ large as they have been in since the 80s. And yet we, we can't sustain a lot of significant wins and momentum. Yet at the same time, you're asking yourself, well, what are my other options? Nikki Haley ain't going to do that, right? Tim Scott ain't going to do that, right? right. Mickey, Mitch McConnell ain't going to do that. Mike Pence, who went over and visited Zelensky this morning, he going to do it for you? No. No. Wait till you see what we're going to talk about in the overtime today. And you'll see why Donald Trump so heavily inspires 30 to 40% of our Republican base. Because the vast majority of Republicans inspire 0% of our base. And therefore can't inspire the electorate either. And, and that's the challenge, I think, for Ron DeSantis. Policy papers don't inspire people. At least not enough of them. I mean, I'm an ideologue. I get inspired by them. But ultimately, inspiration inspires people. 
I will ruthlessly execute efficiently your belief system isn't that's hard to put on a yard sign. If you come over the border, you're stone cold dead. That you can put on a line on a yard sign, right? Yeah. He's going to have to figure out how to inspire people. And it's going to take more than just look at what I did in Florida. Because even though Donald Trump inspires 30 to 40% of our base and nobody else, right now that is more people than Ron DeSantis inspires. And I want to make something also clear here. I think because of the current political landscape and because of his own obnoxious branding and branders who just nauseate me most days and I'm not shy about expressing it. I think a lot of you think when I made a reference to pseudo messianic branding, I was talking about Trump. I wasn't actually. I wasn't talking about him. <laughs> I'm actually talking about John McCain and Mitt Romney and why I conscientiously objected uh, to those elections and didn't really take part in them. Didn't vote for those guys because it was pointless. They had proven with their actual records they were my enemy. They were against me politically. They just repackaged themselves uh, to capture the GOP and then lost. And then what happened with both of those figures? They remained in public office after they lost. What happened after they lost? They proved me exactly right. Not because I'm prophetic, not because I'm analytically smart. I just critically read their records and I didn't let the emotion of, well, they're the GOP nominee now, so Elvis forgiven. No, they didn't change. They went right back. The dog returns to its own vomit. They went right back to who they were prior to lying to you. They, they were screwing you right to your face before they wanted to run for president, lied to you for a time to take control, and then after they didn't win, went right back to screwing you again. They were who we thought they were. This is why I was adamantly against Trump in 2016. Because he had no political record. And let's face it, he had a few character flaws. I guess we'll just put it that way. And so to me, I thought he was like the next, like Skynet was evolving. This is the next Mitt McCain. And now this one has figured out how to channel like the Bullworth everybody wants. Remember that Warren Beatty movie from the early 90s? Yep. Just out there randomly saying offensive things, but people love it because finally someone's actually speaking their mind, right? And so I thought just like those guys, he was capturing a, uh, a, a gullible to desperate Republican base. And then once he became president, pre-COVID, he developed a more than satisfactory record. In fact, it was excellent in some areas, as you and I were debating yesterday back and forth. And if you haven't, if you didn't listen to the conversation that Todd and I had on Trump v. DeSantis during Buy, Sell, or Hold yesterday, go back and listen to that. I think it's the best, most honest, substantive conversation I've heard, or at least I've heard on this show, about the two men and their strengths and weaknesses. And so in 2020, I did something, even though I spent that entire year basically opposing the Trump administration's signature policy, which was COVID-19. I did something that November I had not done since 2004, almost 20 years. I voted for the Republican nominee for president. Because why? Let's go back to just war theory. Donald Trump had proven prior to March 16th, 2020, with his deeds, what he did, the fruit, the fruit, the fruit, the fruit, not the words, not the words, not the words, not the words, the fruit, the fruit, the fruit. He proved that 
the collateral damage of the divisiveness of supporting him was worth it because the policies that he initiated were better for people than the downside of him as a candidate and the, and, and, and the offense that he permeates. In other words, I thought Trump 2020 was a just war. So I fought it. Sometimes it felt like I was fighting it in spite of Trump. Like fighting it harder than Trump, actually. This also explains, by the way, my hesitancy to immediately jump on board with him right now. Other than I'm just not confident that he can win a general election, going back to what we said before, that he can adequately inspire people. In Trump's case, what Bobby Kennedy and Ronald Reagan were able to do is get people who should not have been for them to vote for them. Trump is struggling to get people who should be vote for him to vote for him. But I want him to show he's worth that fight again because it does come with a lot of baggage. In all our families, it comes with baggage to support Donald Trump. But if the difference is we're going to go from the most discretionary income or the biggest discretionary income increase amongst the middle class in in this century to can i afford a carton of friggin' eggs i will fight my family over that because that is that is a human dignity issue can i go out and experience the american dream and afford a home to it's over a hundred percent more expensive to get a 30-year fixed mortgage than it was the day trump took office that i will fight over that we're going to have abortion on demand versus we're going to smash Roe versus Wade. You bet your ass I'm going to fight over that. And I don't care how much, how many aunts and uncles get offended. I'll fight for that. But he needs to show, though, that he has learned from the grave mistakes that cost him his presidency. Because they may cost him his freedom. They didn't just cost us our freedom. That we had to fight tooth and nail, scratch and claw, sometimes even against him to get it back. It may cost him his. The power these people have now to imprison him for the rest of his natural life, they would not have if he had not handed his presidency over to them and, and lost the last election. He would be president now. There would be no Merrick Garland attorney general. There would be no Judge Cannon cases. None of, just pardon himself. Actually, as an acting president, they couldn't even try him in New York State for what's going on there with that, AD, with that DA. So, the, so it's not just that what he did after March 16, 2020 cost us our freedom. It may cost him his. Because if he doesn't win the next election or whoever, whomever gets nominated doesn't and is willing to pardon him, it is more than a flip of a coin. He will spend the rest of his natural life in a prison cell or under some form of incarceration because they can't figure out what to do with his Secret Service detail. And when I saw that clip today from Bobby Kennedy, I just thought that right there. Is everything I have tried to say on my show my whole career, everything I've tried to say every day on this era, right there, that, that is an, it, that's a portrait of it. Politics will become one, one of two things, idealistic or idolatrous, and it will not be anything else in between. It will be the process by which we inspire each other and challenge each other to be the best version of ourselves we can be, or we will incentivize ourselves to do the opposite. 
And what has gone on in this era is the opposite. And a lot of times we have turned against each other for people that were not worth it. John McCain, Mitt Romney, Barack Obama. Not worth it. John Kerry, George W. Bush. Now that we know that what the second term of George W. Bush looked like, can you tell me what the hell would be different if John Kerry had won the election? Because I don't know. And man, I was on my knees praying for the Lord to hand deliver it to Bush to save America. And now after we live through it, I don't know what would have been different if Kerry had won. We will either... We will either use politics to inspire and to advance ideals or to conspire to turn ourselves into idolaters. There is no in-between. No in-between. We will either use politics as a means to live the way the laws of nature and nature's God has revealed is good, true, and beautiful or we will use politics to make our politicians and government God. There is no in-between. I'm not even sure Bobby Kennedy fully understands how prophetic what he laid out there truly is, not even politically, but spiritually. More in a moment. the debt ceiling for the 666th time last month. Uh, Biden actually came out with an economic plan yesterday called Bidenomics. Did you see this? Yeah. Yeah. How confident are you in that plan? Um, there's no words to go that low. Correct. Unless, of course, if, if, if the goal is in managed decay and a cloward and piven America, then, well, then the confidence meter goes way up. Yes, absolutely. Here's the point. All right. There's a reason why gold has for really eons now uh, has been a successful hedge for people who are smart, uh, productive and prosperous to maintain their productivity and prosperity uh, and secure it from government debasement schemes. What's a government debasement scheme? The current administration. Uh, that, that's what that would be. All right. Find out with our friends over at Birch Gold how to diversify a portion of your savings into gold. Uh, you can, they will help you convert an existing IRA or a 401k into an IRA in gold, and you won't have to pay a penny out of pocket. No obligation, just information. With an A-plus rating from the Better Business Bureau and thousands of happy customers, go to Birch Gold right now. Help protect your savings. Text Steve to 989-898. Text Steve to 989-898. Get the free info kit on gold when you text Steve to 989-898. Frank Turek is a theologian. He is a speaker. He is also the author of a book that uh, I think probably came out a year before its time. 
Hollywood Heroes, How Your Favorite Movies Reveal God. And he joined me, or he let me join him on his show, Cross Examined, back when we released Nefarious. And we have been looking for an opportunity to return that favor. And Frank joins us here today. It is good, Frank, to finally uh, have you on the show, brother. How are you? Steve, it's always great being with you. I love what Nefarious is doing now. I think it's on Prime now, isn't it? It is. It is. And, it, you know, I mean, we have done, in, we are doing insane business right now in streaming, Good. Frank. I mean, we're very, all very, very pleased. And, um, and it's increasing the odds that uh, we can maybe convince some people to invest in future nefarious content moving forward so thank you very much for the little push uh, that you and so many others gave us when we came out with the film a, a couple of months ago greatly appreciated well it's such an important movie steve because it, it's another way of showing uh, the good versus evil motif that we put out in our book hollywood heroes except the the we're, we're dealing mostly with fantasy and superhero movies your movie, Nefarious, is actually, I wouldn't say it's a Christian movie, but it's a its a movie with a Christian worldview that's very realistic. And I know you had my friend Jack Hibbs on. Mm-hmm. He had the almost exact same experience that you put in the movie Nefarious. Yeah. With with a friend of his, like thirty years ago, I, I mean, this guy was doing exactly what the what the convict and nefarious was doing was doing to him in real life. <laughs> that's how possessed. I got to meet, that's how I got to to meet Jack Hibbs. He called me on a Sunday, yeah, all right, and said, "Hey, man, I just saw your movie and it blew my mind. I lived through this as a young pastor thirty years ago. My wife and I both did." And he goes, "I've been very hesitant to tell it. My my elders and stuff don't even know this yet." because I thought people would think I was weird and everything. And I'm going to tell them now, because I want us to all go see your movie again now, but together that I, and, and that behavior that's in your film, I witnessed that myself, that level of malevolence that's, right. that's in your film. So let's talk about another movie, Frank. And if, if, yeah. if, 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 if people were to ask me, Steve, what, 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 what's the moment that you thought we might be in real trouble here? I, I'm going to give, there's obvious moments. You can go back 50 years ago, Roe v. Wade, although we smashed mm-hmm. that idol. You know, last year, just celebrated the right. anniversary of that. You could look at Windsor in Obergefell. But I want to I want to go to a movie. I grew up in a home with an abusive dad. I didn't have mm. a great masculine role model growing up. And there were times that my dad, though, was a really cool dad. Times that his demons got the better of him. And when it came, one thing that him and I both loved that we could share is a love of fantasy movies. Star Wars, Star yep. Trek. And when I was five years old, over right at Christmas time, when I was five years old, he took me to see Superman, the motion picture with Christopher Reeve. Yep. And I was enthralled. I mean, when the logo comes on and the John Williams score, I mean, I'm, I'm going to be 50 in a month, Frank. And I can remember vividly sitting in the River Hills Theater in Des Moines, Iowa at five years old. And th- the first time I saw that movie. And uh-huh. I've, I've seen that movie over 230 times. That it, one it, movie? That one movie. It was, it, was, it was one of the first blockbusters to get on HBO uh-huh. in the early days of cable. I watched it every time I could. It was, he was my masculine role model. I would put the towel on my, the red towel from our closet on my, and go out and play Superman in the yard. That was the idea of, you know, I, I did not grow up in a religious home. So my heavenly father, I didn't know him. This was the closest thing to an altruistic being that just did what was good for people because it was good with no other baseline other than goodness that I'd ever been introduced to. And so when the, when man of steel was, was, was being promoted in 2013, and I looked at the early branding and stuff of that, and I thought, 
they got it. And they figured out how to update it for the modern audience. And then went and saw it the night it came out, blown away by how good it was. It's, it's a magnum opus. The movie is incredible. And even the scene at the very end when Kevin Costner, the father, looks over and sees little Clark doing the same thing I did as a kid, wearing the red towel cape on his oh, yeah. out there on the clothesline, okay? <laughs> and I'm like, this movie's going to make $5 billion. It didn't. Uh-huh. I mean, Superman even goes to see his priest, before deciding yeah. whether it's time for him to now assume the mission that his father sent him to Earth to fulfill, right? I'm thinking they've hit every note. They did it right, and they made it look for modern for a 21st century audience. I'm like, this is going to be the biggest movie of all time. It wasn't. And, well, I, but not only that, the, the Superman motif, as you know, is probably the most direct correlation yes. to Jesus than any other superhero. We cover a whole bunch of them in the Hollywood Heroes book, uh, Steve. We cover Star Wars. We cover, you know, the Avengers, including uh, Captain America. That's that's my Iron that's Man. my point, Frank. That yeah, th that was that's when the culture showed me. We yeah. don't. We can't. Uh, altruism doesn't resonate with us. I want. I want fifteen Batman movies. The guy who's perpetually broken and is never put back together again. That's mm -hmm. the one I, I identify with. That and that maybe right. there's no possibility to put me back together again. No one could put me back together again. And so maybe I can still aspire to do something inspirational in my brokenness. When I saw that our culture would rather stay per perpetually broken and be inspired in their brokenness than be inspired to look higher than their own brokenness. That is when I, that's when for me, my, my, my meter went off and said, Oh, Oh, we are in that has, that has filtered into the water table beyond politics. We're in a heap of trouble. We can't even be inspired right anymore, Frank. Well, although, Steve, when you look at it and you know, we go back 40 years ago with star Wars in this book uh, when you do look at it, though, what really does resonate with people is not follow your heart, which is the cultural mandate now. You know, you got to follow your heart. You got to, you know, swim every stream, swim every ocean, climb every mountain, you know, just follow whatever your heart does. When you put it into a fantasy movie or a hero type movie, follow your heart doesn't inspire people. Sacrifice does. Mm -hmm. And that is the common thread that runs through all the great movie blockbusters that they hero comes in sacrifices himself to save people who are in the midst of evil that i think still does inspire so that's a that's a that's a positive uh, note here and the ultimate hero of course in reality is jesus who sacrifices himself uh for our good and he gets nothing out of it he lays down his life to save the very people that rebelled against him and so what we point out in the book hollywood heroes is that all our favorite movie heroes from all these fantasy movies whether it's captain america whether it's iron man whether it's sam ganji from from lord of the rings whether it's uh luke skywalker from uh star wars even harry potter believe it or not harry potter is modeled after jesus all of these characters steve are actually modeled after the greatest hero of all time jesus of nazareth i think you can tell a lot about a culture from the state of its men and the state of its myths mm -hmm. and if if we looked at the current state of each of those things right now frank we are in oh, yeah. a heap of doo-doo brother a heap yeah, of doo-doo we have the most 40 year old men ever not married 
Mm-hmm. Uh, a 25 year old man is more likely to be living at home with a parent than in another home with a wife and kid. First time in American history. And then mm-hmm. look at the way we are out to debase our myths. The Barbie movie. We're going to have men dressed as women. And we're going to advertise that. Um, I mean, we're going to have um, we're going to we're going to uh, bring Indiana Jones back. And he's got to be saved and led around by his nose by a, 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 his goddaughter character uh, that no one had ever heard of in a 40-year history of a, of a mythos before. We are anxious to debase our myths, and, and we have done so after we have disincentivized our men. I don't think that, that, that order is, is coincidental, Frank. Right, but I don't think that these these movies, like the new I'm, I'm sorry, the new Indiana Jones movie I just read this morning, they're expecting that thing to bomb, Steve. Right. right. Because it doesn't inspire people. What does inspire people are heroes are going to sacrifice themselves to save others. They they're they're not inspired by follow your heart. That that just doesn't inspire people because it's all selfish. Despite the fact our culture is saying you need to follow your heart, when you put it on the big screen, it doesn't resonate. I was talking a few minutes ago that I think if you're a Christian, you should always feel attention when it comes to cultural engagement. Mm-hmm. You should always feel attention between Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. And not today, Satan. Mm-hmm. And that the, the arc, the redemptive arc of, of history, capital H-I-S, history, God's narrative, is yep. mercy triumphs over judgment. That, that overall, it tilts towards Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. But there are moments where the evil is so grave and so mm. systemic, mm. it's not today Satan. And I use the example of Moses comes down from the mountain with, with the grace of God emblazoned his signature on these tablets. He is going to reveal himself the most personally he ever has to man, at, at that point in time to mankind with his own written word that he wrote himself. And he comes down from the mountain and he sees at the bottom of the mountain an or, that they, they're, they're, there's a pagan reverie, a literal orgy taking place. And now this, the, the tablets are set aside and it's time for not today, Satan. And, and, and that evil's got to be purged out of that camp, right? And so are we in a moment right now where the, where the evil in our culture is, is so available and rampant and so consequential that it, we are in a not today Satan moment. I asked you as a theologian, what do, first yeah, of all, do probably, you even agree with that paradigm? And then what do you think of? Well, I think we're at the end of Romans one, Steve. Uh, Romans chapter one, as you know, says when you suppress the truth and unrighteousness, you're led into futile thinking because God will give you up and ultimately you're going to have a depraved mind. Mm-hmm. So by the time you get to the end of Romans one, it says not only do people keep doing evil, they're cheering on other people who are doing evil. I mean, look what just happened in New York yesterday. You've got the governor up there signing a bill that will protect children so they can have their genitals mutilated. And it will have a New York will be a safe haven for abortion, Steve, so people can abort their children right up to the moment of birth. This is madness and this is being sold as good. So people are actually involved in futile thinking. They're given up to a depraved mind because they suppress the truth about God. And not only are they doing evil, they're cheering on other people who are doing evil. So then you think we are at a, we're at a, we're at a not today Satan juncture where we're going to, it's going to require for a period of time, uh, a more confrontational posture in order to deal with what's in front of our faces. Oh, 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 absolutely. Absolutely. We've got to be more con. I mean, Steve, think about this. We've got people like Bill Maher, who's an atheist, Richard Dawkins, who's an atheist saying what Christian pastors are afraid to say. 
that you ought not mutilate your children, that I'm sorry, there's only two genders. It's science. This is what Richard Dawkins Isn't James said. Lindsay an atheist, Todd and Aaron? Yes, Isn't he an well, atheist? He's, he's, He's now yeah. an agnostic. Yeah, okay. James is moving moving in the right okay. direction. But but he's but that, people, that points your that's your point. He is yeah. more aggressive on training mm-hmm. madness than the majority of evangelical ministers at the moment. Exactly. I mean, these people are coming out and they're saying this is madness, and pastors are hu- hiding under their desks. In fact, I just wrote another book called "Correct, Not Politically Correct" about same-sex marriage and transgenderism. Maybe we can do another show on that. But I point out that what's going on here is just madness. And I'm not even quoting the Bible. You don't need the Bible to know this, Steve. You don't need the Bible to know that transgenderism is impossible. That you can't change your biology. You can change your mind, but you can't change your biology. And yet people are saying, "Oh yeah, you can change your body." You can't do it. It's impossible. You can't change any one of your hundred trillion cells. It's impossible. You can change your mind. I mean, it's it's analogous to anorexia. If your daughter said she was anorexic would, would, or said she was overweight when she's really dangerously thin, would you say, you know, you're right, honey, let me give you some liposuction. If she said she was a mermaid, would you take her off the coast and drop her in the ocean? Of course you wouldn't. Right. You'd say, honey, your mind's playing tricks on you. I, to, in order for me to love you, I need to confront the delusion that you're having. All right. So, Frank, people want to get more information on your ministry cross-examined. And don't, by the way, don't let the fact that Frank is personal friends with David Limbaugh persuade you. Despite <laughs> despite that character flaw, Frank is is rock solid. OK. All right. David so Limbaugh, David Limbaugh, is a, he's so great. He, he wrote the forward. For, I don't have enough faith to be an atheist. Our most successful book. He's, he wrote he's, he's a forward, a the forward guy. to my first widely published book as well. So we each have that character flaw in common. How can uh-huh. people find your ministry cross-examined, Frank? Yeah, just go to crossexamined.org. And you'll see we've got online courses, we've got videos, we've got uh, articles, obviously, we've got books, DVDs, we got everything, Steve. So and the new book, uh, Hollywood Heroes, how your favorite movies reveal God, I think is a great book for especially for parents that want to help their kids to understand the truth about Christianity, because if they like superhero movies, they're going to love Jesus if it's properly understood. And that's what this book explains. And it even goes back to the Old Testament. I mean, in ancient in ancient Israel, Jewish kids thought uh, the stories of Moses and Elijah, they were superheroes, man. That's right. Okay, Calling down fire from heaven and everything else. Yeah, you Uh bet. All right. Good to see you again, Frank. Thank you, brother. Take care. Great being with you, Steve. God bless you. Yeah, same to you. What he was saying there at the end reminded me of something I saw my daughter Anastasia tweet yesterday. Uh, a picture of uh, of Bruce Jenner pretending to be incensed about tranny madness in sports. And and my daughter tweeted, this is like a, a pig doing a public service announcement for we need to eat more bacon. What is this? Is it, this it, makes, it makes no sense. But your thoughts on the conversation that we just had with Frank. Well, I go back to the difference between Superman and Batman. And there's one other than the brokenness aspect, which is the human side of things. There's another difference between those two. Both are superheroes in terms of canon, but one is merely human and the other one has supernatural gifts. Mm -hmm. And that's the other part about choosing Batman. We, We don't we don't want something outside of ourselves to fix us or mm-hmm. to heal us. We don't want ourselves. We don't want to humble ourselves mm-hmm. to that. And you can see even in the movie Superman that's turned out so good. I mean, the people humble themselves almost too much in that movie. There's a fawning over him that Superman has a tough time dealing with. But with Batman, it's just lean hard into me. Of course, 
whenever you do that, you're just wearing hockey pants most of the time. We'll come back. Hour two is next. Theology Thursday. And this will be a bit of a challenging conversation, I think, given what we're about to discuss. Stay tuned. Back here with our two live on demand. Probably not that much in demand, though, for being honest. Right here on Blaze TV radio and podcast. Steve Dace here with Aaron McIntyre, Todd Erzin, and all of you. And you can let us know who you are and what you think about what we think via the stevedace.com inbox. Steve at stevedace.com is how you can email the show. That's D-E-A-C-E. Like us on Facebook, MeWe and Gab. Follow me at Steve Dace Show on Twitter, Getter, Instagram, and TikTok. You can also find me on Truth Social over there at Real Steve Dace. And if you are a podcast listener, please, if you haven't done this yet, Today, let it be the day that you leave us a five-star review if you like the show. Hit subscribe, or if you listen on iTunes, I think it's follow now. And thank you to all of you that have done that to help to boost our show within the, uh, the algorithm, however that works. Thank you to each and every one of you. This portion of the show brought to you by, I had to nerd out here for a minute, naturally it's clean. If you are tired of the cleaning products in your home that uh, smell like nasty chemicals and you'd rather do something that not only smells better, but is made out of natural products and actually works better as well, I would urge you to check out Naturally It's Clean. These are hospital-grade cleaning solutions that smell great every single time. Uh, The legendary Bob Vila even said Naturally It's Clean has the most eco-friendly carpet stain remover on the market today. I know what you're thinking. Steve, what has happened to you? Well, I was raised by Vicky. All right. And so I am, I've got a little, more than a little Danny Tanner in me. I am a clean freak. Not to mention these products really work. And even though this messaging traditionally sounds like something you hear from the granola crunching crowd, uh, the people that own this company are hardcore patriots, man. Hardcore. Great products. I've tried them all. The pet stain remover has been. It's been miraculous. I, I can't even, I, I, I couldn't adequately describe to you how good that pet stain remover is. Uh, we are using the laundry detergent, the, the floor cleaner. These are fantastic products, all of them manufactured right here in the U.S. of A., and they have the same value as the people that own this company that you do. And they also offer two-day shipping. Try it right now. Naturally, it's clean, ITS. Naturallyitsclean.com slash Steve. Again, that's naturallyitsclean.com slash Steve. And you can get 15% off for a limited time right now uh, with the Essential Starter Kit, which is four of their most popular products. Naturallyitsclean.com slash Steve. All right. Told you, theology-heavy episode today. And now it's actually Theology Thursday. It just has felt like the entire show has been that so far. And we have been studying by Dr. Tony Evans, his book, Kingdom Politics, Returning God to Government. And we are now, gentlemen, embarking upon part two of this book, the concerns or the pillars of kingdom politics, priorities. 
of kingdom politics. And of course, number one is life. Much of this chapter are all things we would agree with, Mm -hmm. have said a million times, and our audience has heard a million times from people like us. I have the exact same thoughts, Arzan, and what are we exactly going to talk about? Because we've probably gone down every road we can possibly... So let's go down some different roads instead. Okay? In this chapter, now I want to make sure we make it very clear before we go down this road, that this chapter is 87 counting the pages here that's a dead 10 to 12 pages this this, just this chapter is 12 pages yeah all right the first eight of those 12 pages are on the abortion issue Mm -hmm. and that it is the signature and he makes it very very clear that it is the signature pivotal fundamental life issue of this era agreed and and that you cannot fail on this and if you do we do not PASCO. We don't collect $200. We go directly to jail. Both the people who fail and the culture that fails. So I want to make sure that everybody knows, uh, before we get into what we're going to discuss next, that is clearly stipulated page after page in the first eight pages of this chapter. Agreed? Absolutely. We all agree on this. Okay. Sorry, there is something on the bridge of my nose that keeps itching, and I'm trying to stop it from making it look like I'm picking my nose, like that Seinfeld episode. No, I'm just itching my nose. Okay. All right. So. With that said, because we've all done that apologetic on this show. How many times have we done this show with what he puts in the first eight and a half pages? Many times. Many times. Many times. So let's get into some of the stuff that's later in the chapter that we haven't discussed as much. Each person is made in the image of God. When you remove a person's dignity from them by telling them the color of their skin prevents them from certain opportunities... Or, per, or prevents them from participating as an equal in society, you are essentially cursing the Imago Dei, or being, that's the theological term for being made in the image of God. When you treat the homeless as though they have no dignity, or when you treat the poor as if they were leftovers or refuse in life, you are cursing the Imago Dei. When governments enact, enact structures and systems in society to reduce a certain group of people from living life to their fullest potential, these governments are cursing the Imago Dei. No matter how torn or how tattered a wrinkled dollar bill is, it is the, Im- it is the image on it that determines its value. A smooth dollar bill has no right to reject or reduce the value of a wrinkled one. Whether that shows up in gerrymandering of districts or redlining of neighborhoods so that there is no equal access, or whether it shows up in the de-emphasis on education in certain areas over others, it is an affront to the image of God. When access to quality health care becomes attainable for some but not for others, based on a judgment in society or a practice through political means, it is an attack on God because God values all life. Aborting the length or well-being of a person's existence is an affront to God himself. He created each of us with a unique plan to fulfill and a path to pursue, which will bring him glory and advance his kingdom agenda on earth. When appraisers go into appraisal districts and underbid houses so that they can have gentrification rushed in and people are not given the true value of their property, that is the lowering of dignity of a group of individuals for the benefits of another group. When this and and a multitude of other strategies is employed either formally or informally to lift one group higher than another, these policies go against God's intended order. What's more, when Christians say nothing to reject these policies or systems, they inadvertently become co-conspirators to oppressive regimes that are aborting the dignity of God's image bearers. Just like Mordecai challenged Esther to go before the king 
i.e. government, to fight for the right to life for her people, both present and future, in Esther, Christians should appeal to civil government for the right to life for all today. Aaron, we have not heard enough from you today, and a lot of that is my own fault because I have talked too much. So I'm going to let you go first. It is the Steve Day Show. Two things. One, I had the same thought that you did about this chapter. And two, for the same reasons as you just revealed, because you went the exact place that I kind of wanted to go. Good. Tony Evans writes, an often used scripture to emphasize the value of life in the womb similarly emphasizes the value of life after being born. However, we skip over the reality of the latter part far too often. Let's take a look at the scripture in its entirety. This is Psalm 139, 13 through 16. For you formed my inward parts. You wove me in my mother's womb. I will give thanks to you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works and my soul knows it very well. We usually just stop right there. But no, it goes on. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the depths of the earth. Your eyes have seen my unformed substance. And in your book were all written. The days that were ordained for me when as yet there was not one of them. This passage reveals God's recognition of and care for life within the womb, and it also reveals to us God's plan for life outside of the womb. Oh, that's a gigantic can of worms. Well, it's a life-size can of worms because the issue of life touches everything else we see. Why do we always say that a candidate or a, a window to the soul of any person, candidate or otherwise, is where they are on the life issue, specifically preborn or unborn life? It's because if you don't get that one right, it's, it's, not, it's not actually because it's a hard issue and you got to have some sort of Rubik's Cube within your mind that ha- you have to solve and finally you solve that Rubik's Cube and now I'm pro-life. No, it's actually the easiest thing to get right. It should be anyway. It's an innocent being distinct from the mama that you're snuffing out. That's easy to get right. That some people and a lot of people in their disobedience get that wrong. The things that are harder, though, the, the, the life issues that are harder to get right are, are the ones that, uh, that we were... Uh, subjected to over the last couple of years. One of them is, is medical freedom. But then once you start barking down that barking down that rabbit hole or barking up that tree uh, you see the cornucopia of things that touches that, that touch life the whole life that we have gotten wrong and just taken for granted for so long in this country. I don't know if you want to go into specific ones. We've talked about this before, maybe even during the segment on on Theology Thursday, but there are so many things that we just take for granted because we think that life just means, oh, unborn life, we got to protect that. No, there are a lot of other areas that this touches. And shame on us, shame on us if we just pigeonhole the life issue only to unborn life. That is important, but it's not the only place. I'm glad you brought up the medical issue there 
because this book was written in 2022. So we are, we have gone through the, the worst rigors of COVID lockdowns and the oppressiveness of that, masks, um, understanding the publishing process, particularly during COVID, when we had a lot of, um, a, a lot of issues with uh, supply chain stuff. Quite likely, nothing was truly known about the vaccines by the time he had to submit the cop th- this book to copy. Okay, so I'll give I'll give uh, Pastor Evans a complete pass on that. But absolutely, we would have seen the devastation of lockdowns. Absolutely, we would have seen the the loss of ten thousand family businesses. That's another form of the that's another form of the gentrification that he is talking about here. All right, the government beginning on March 16, 2020, came in and said, your small business is, quote unquote, non-essential. That's another one same way of saying gentrified. Your small business is gentrified and Walmart and Costco can remain open. That's another form of the very dynamic that he's talking about here. Because I, I think, given what I witnessed in COVID, we absolutely have to consider that these medical issues now are pro-life issues. They absolutely are. Um. And so I, I, I thought no reference to that kind of stuck out to me whatsoever. I mean, if we're going to have this conversation, you know, we're going we're to discuss what it means to be whole life, then let's have it all the way. Todd, your thoughts. Well, the internal logic, the simple way of conveying the internal logic of complex things is one of the things I like the best about uh, Tony Agreed. Evans. Agree. yeah. Uh, but I think something is kind of hanging out there that I don't think he adequately addressed because his internal, we, this is actually the first chapter in what is shown to be part two of the book. Uh, part one, everything we've done so far, if, if I may, and correct me if I'm wrong, guys, but he basically says this in its broad strokes, I'm defining what Christendom is. Mm-hmm. Okay. Which is then how you make sense of what he's asking you with this specific issue. And I didn't look ahead. I'd imagine whatever spe- specific issues to come. Here's the problem and why, if you're having problems reading this particular chapter in the part Steve is talking about after it gets beyond the realm of abortion. Within Christendom, and that's why the internal logic of what Tony does, I have established what Christendom is, what government is to us, what we are to government. And now this is why when I talk to you about life and make have you to value it beyond the specifics of just abortion and in human dignity, absolutely can understand it. But what happens if not only do we not live in Christendom, which we don't, but when we live in a place that is not even morally, religiously, ethically neutral, it's actually anti-Christendom, which it is. Because then this speaks directly, Steve, to what you talked about on the show already today with mercy and judgment. Forgive them, Lord, versus not today, Satan. Because... What happens when you want to honor the human dignity of the wretched? But not only they won't let you, they'll fight you if they try. That, to me, is what's left out. 
uh, and maybe we get there eventually. I haven't looked ahead because what Tony is asking you makes sense within Christendom. Without now, here we're talking about we're it's it's go, go to Nineveh. The play this has been wrestled with in the Bible. It's like what am I supposed to say to these people? It's. I just think it, it, the way this is left, and I think Tony does know this. I just he, maybe he gets there eventually, but it's not as neat, tidy. People reject their human dignity all the time. People hate their human dignity. People. We are living in. A, we so, are living in a month of people rejecting yes, their human dignity so much so that they're going to make sure yours is like physically cut out of you. Okay, and we're coming for your kids. Okay, so. <laughs> I honestly, I was a, as powerful as this book has been, and I've been a champion of it. Th th this was left. I had a taste in my mouth of Pollyannishness that I know is not his intent, and I'm hoping I'm making my point clear because you can work as hard as you can to love your neighbor and yourself, but at the end of the day. Hell is a place full of people who were ultimately condemned there, but because ultimately God says, have it your way. It's what you want. And that has to be reconciled with everything that's in this chapter. I do think that the way he went about, I agree with you that I think this chapter is not as potent as some of the other chapters, even in the making of his own point. Right. Um, because I, I think it's addressed in the way that he orders this chapter. Going back to what I said here at the top of the conversation, it's a 12-page chapter. The first eight pages are all about abortion. Mm -hmm. And then the, the rest of the chapter is more gets into the dignity issue. Mm -hmm. So he is clearly saying in the way this chapter is constructed that we got to do step one here first. Absolutely. Right? We're, we, we aren't going to do anything. And, and it reminded me, I, one of my best friends when I first got into this business was hugely influential on me, my old friend, Jonathan Narciss. Mm -hmm. And he used to say to me all the time, Steve, if you can't get people to do what's right, and this is why he was so heavily involved in education in our state and all those con and school board issues and school board controversies, because he used to say to me all the time, Steve, if we can't get parents to do what is right by their children who are already born, mm -hmm. we are never going to get them to protect their children before they're born. Mm -hmm. He used to say that to me constantly. And in, in many respects, what Evans is saying here is, is the same thing, but in an opposite direction, meaning that. If you want to come at us and say gentrification, um, uh, systemic barriers to socio, because based on race or socioeconomic status are things that we have to address, okay, because those are injustices according to a biblical worldview. He is admitting, okay, but show me you're serious about this. Because the gravest injustice of them all is killing our offspring before they're even born. Mm -hmm. I mean, if you're if you can, if you're not serious about that, you're not serious about the other stuff, right? And so the way that he has structured this chapter clearly implies that. Mm -hmm. I think he should have just said it, point blank. 
point blank. The reality is you aren't even speaking to his own community. Right now, it is, it is <laughs> the most dangerous place for a black child to be in New York City is in the womb of a black woman when you look at their mm-hmm. abortion rates. Flat out, flat out, the most dangerous place for a black child in New York City to be is in the womb of a black woman when you look at their abortion rates. And again, th- thank you in advance to Media Matters because they'll Thanks. be writing about that later today. Appreciate them helping me get the word out about that. But it needs to be pointed out. An extension what, of your what, argument, it's so important. I want to, is that it, it, George Floyd, sainted George Floyd, okay? But what, every time then the statistic is brought up, but what, this is, and this is my point. What about black on black crime? You are murdering each other. Well, in now the streets. Now you kind of sound a little bit like Jason Whitlock and Stephen A. Smith. At yeah. a far higher rate than anything going on white on black or anything like that. And so what, like... Well, we could do the same thing to this. You're why, dead on. Why, you're why, why do you think the same people that don't believe in protecting your black babies suddenly have the be- your best interest at heart all the way through with all of the... Why would it be a shock to anybody... That if you could not pass the first step, don't murder innocent people, right? That you weren't going to get the whole dignity yeah. uh, the, uh, that transcends racial and socioeconomic divisions. You weren't, even if your intentions were to do so, mm-hmm. you couldn't possibly exactly. prosecute that properly because you don't even understand the premise of your own damn argument. You're blinded by your own sinfulness, your own idolatry, your own desire. To, to, to have access to this act of sacrifice that you can't get anything else right. You can't get anything else right. right. And, the, and, and, and the fact that you're, that you're, you're so desirous of the act of child sacrifice is why everything else is failing. It's not, it's not like we're going to get this right, but we're going to keep killing our most innocent beings. No, guys. Mm-hmm. One, is the, one is the fruit, is frankly, the offspring of the other. One leads to the other. And so I think that this could have more directly connected those dots and made that point. And I think maybe, is that maybe why you feel like this chapter for the first time left a little too much meat on the bone, maybe? Absolutely. Let's go to what the final thing he says is then. Jesus can turn a racist into an anti-racist. He can turn prejudice into acceptance. He can remove discrimination. He can give dignity where it has been withheld. He can offer significance and healing for those who have gone down the wrong path of abortion. He can forgive, lift up, and restore what has been lost when you and I return to him and abide in him. It is in Jesus Christ that we will discover our own personal dignity and the royalty we are destined to live out. It is also in Jesus Christ that we will discover the value and worth of each other. Once we come to understand how important life is, not just life in the womb, but all life in every stage and every station, we will know how to support policies and laws that protect the dignity and sanctity of the Imago Dei present within each of us. We will also know to oppose the policies and laws that leave the door open for the oppression and the devaluation of human life in every form and stage of acceptance. That's how this chapter concludes. Aaron, what do you think? Yeah, again, we'd probably agree with every jot and tittle of that. Just when I read that passage from Psalms and then his and then his conclusion I said, oh, so what's that mean? Uh, yeah, we agree with all of that on this show. Yes, we agree with all of that. So then blank. So then what? And there are, like I said, 
there are a number of trees you could start barking up on this on this um, matter of whole life being whole life uh, pro whole life um, but without you know without addressing a specific one especially a contemporary one I would have to agree a little bit with Todd leaving some um, Le- leaving some uh, something to be desired with this with this tra- chapter. Here's I just realized in you two, with you two talking how exactly how to say how I feel about this, and it's from Father Stew that movie which Steve as much as you talked it up and I'm the Catholic and it took me a while to finally get to it. Oh my goodness, I just love that movie. But there is that fantastic scene about two thirds, three quarters of the way through the movie where Father Stew and his. Uh, fellow man i can't really remember if they're already priests or if they're in the middle of seminary but they're attending the prison you remember this mm-hmm. amazing scene mm-hmm. it's just and and the classically trained guy goes in there and cannot relate to the cannot, prison population on any level oh and he is just stumbling he, yeah yeah he is and, he's face planning yes but, and but father Stu is one of them he comes in and says i speak jive basically oh, yes. like barbara billingsley yeah and he does and that's what ha- did not happen mm-hmm. in the end of this chapter we just got the, I related it like the first guy was the one talk. I, I, and we've heard sermons like this. Like, I know if I read this, I would agree with this. Is what you talking about, Kennedy? It's amazing how things are connecting to the. I could read it. I agree with it. He didn't say anything wrong in there, but he didn't say anything in a way that connected. Then Father Stu says the same thing, but in the language that they could hear it in, and lives were hopefully changed. And. Uh, this chapter, it just makes, how do I connect with this? Because I know the evil and the darkness in this world. They're hunting us. I know, I know that person who's carving up these children was created in the image and likeness of God. What do I say? What do I do? Because right now they're hunting me down and my kids. And it doesn't, this, this doesn't make it feel as if this chapter knows what time it is in the parts that don't just talk about specifically abortion. How much of this do you think is we are scarred, the three of us, and people that are agreeing with us right now that are tuned in? How much of it is we are scarred because a lot of our clergy have used this language as an excuse for why they didn't stand up harder against state-sanctioned ritualistic child sacrifice? Because I wanted to make sure uh, that that's why when I started the conversation, I wanted to note this this conversation takes place on the at the beginning at the bottom of the eighth page of a 12 page chapter. Mm-hmm. And the previous eight pages make it very, very clear. OK, that no justice, no peace when it comes to child sacrifice, essentially. I mean, a line is clearly drawn in the sand. He's not backing away from that issue. He's not watering it down. He's not trying to destigmatize it he's not trying to depoliticize it that is the priority of this chapter okay and and it, mm-hmm. it gets the priority of space pages and words all right and that's why i wanted to state stipulate that at the top because a part of me thinks maybe we are just very scarred because a lot of our clergy have used this kind of language as an excuse in the past to not stand up uh to the to the the child butchers you see what I'm saying? I'm going to be an automatic buy if if you begin a sentence with maybe we're scarred. That's just going to be an automatic buy for <laughs> yes. me. Okay. Todd, what do you think? Yeah, I think there's something there, but listen, I I think Pastor Tony there is um, you know, I don't he's a man in his what 60s, mm-hmm. I think. I look I, I don't where does he live? I don't even know. Texas. He's in Dallas, Texas. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, but again, I I think there's just there's just a whiff of this is 
and he's he's a smart guy but that's smart guys have to make sure that they don't end up living in ivory uh towers uh, and that this is very much applied uh to the least among us being able to put it in to practice and again i don't think i think there's a lot of people reading this way like i look at the videos i go i could there's street preachers there was just one this week there's a street preacher in the middle of one of these trans events they surround him they bleat at him they scream at him um this was too theoretical that's I, it was simply too theoretical and and maybe i don't know maybe at the end of the day because go to nineveh there's like there's no other is the, the command is to go so maybe there maybe i don't have any better answers on what to do with it but i was left wanting more in this chapter by far than any other do you are you guys briefly because we're almost out of time thumbs up or thumbs down to my inclination to start including the medical autonomy stuff post-covid into the pro-life conversation way up thumbs way up you know what i think Daniel Horowitz a conversation I had and the one time I met with him he was amazing he said I've I have actively repented of this how did I miss this like we are created in the image of likeness of God and my default was that this child is born and instantly the only way they're made whole is if we inject him with needle after needle after needle that's insane to think as a Christian that's what most Christians think yeah it was it was he's an orthodox Jew I'm sorry but he said the same thing as (laughs) I mean on this sounds it sounds bad. We don't do evil so that good may come. But in a way, thank God for the last few years and waking a lot of people up like that because the this deception was just yeah. pervasive. I mean, I've talked about it in my own thinking before. That that was just pervasive. So I'm, I'm at a total thumbs up for this. Good. I thought that was a fascinating conversation. And that's why I thought let's do that one because we've done the other one a million times and we all know where we're at on that. Right. All right. Pretty heavy show so far. Three non-political questions are next. Hey, if you are suffering from too much chronic pain, that's because you've got too much inflammation in your body. So be on the lookout for our friends over at Relief Factor. It is the all-natural anti-inflammatory that maybe you have been looking for. Designed by doctors who can prescribe drugs and were concerned at the amount of inflammation and chronic pain they were seeing in their practices. But it's also drug-free. They are so confident that this all-natural formula will work for you. They offer it to you with their quick start for the first three weeks at just 20 bucks total. Just 20 bucks for three weeks to see if you don't see a difference in your pain level in three weeks or less. Why do they offer it so inexpensively? Because over over the years, about 70% of the people that have taken them up on it have ended up seeing such great results. They stick around long term. So see if you don't see a difference in three weeks or less. The time is now to find out if it's finally your time to move beyond the pain. Go to relieffactor.com, relieffactor.com, or you can call them at 800, the number 4-RELIEF, 800-4-RELIEF, or relieffactor.com. It is time for three non-political questions. We all have questions. Who am I? Why am I here? Where am I going? Who am I? A search and a question of identity. Why am I here? A question of meaning and purpose. Where am I going? Question of destiny. 
some better than others. What sort of morality or proto-morality would you expect to find in a chimpanzee troop? Injecting some levity into the demise of Western civilization. It's three questions on the Steve Day Show. And that means it is time for my oldest daughter, Anastasia. Good to see you, Princess. Good to see you too, Dad. Sorry. Okay, usually, was, well, usually you're like, how are you doing? And then I'm like, oh, good. And then you're like, okay, what do you have for us? And then I'm like, here's the first question. And okay. Then go that hesitation just made me nervous. Like, what are you about to do to us? <laughs> no, 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 no. I was just I mean, going they're, they're, It says the they're script. non-political. doesn't say they're non-painful. Okay. <laughs> All right. So you've got three non-political questions for us. You've had a pretty heavy theology philosophy uh, show today. So we could use a little lightning of the load a little bit here to close things out. Is that what we're going to get? Yeah, honestly, it, I think it's kind of funny when, that this segment is also on Thursdays because like your guys's talks are so good and they're so deep. And then I'm like, what's your guys's like favorite color or something? And yes. then it's like so completely different, but I enjoy it. Yeah. That's okay. Yeah. Hey, we, hey, we just, we just discussed whole life guys. Let's do the whole Steve Day show. I mean, we all, we have interest outside of the, the more serious existential angst that we are facing today. So you may fire when ready. What do you got? Okay. My first question for you guys is if you had to eliminate one of these fast food places, which one would you choose? Now this, this could cause a fight. All right, go ahead. Okay. Yep. One McDonald's, two Chick-fil-A, three Wendy's. Wendy's. Actually, this is pretty easy to me. This is easy to me too. Yeah. Well, you go ahead, Aaron. Chick-fil-A. There's basically nothing I can have there. Nothing I can oh, eat there. Oh, okay. That's, that's it. That, that's it. That's it. You don't, you don't, the grilled nuggets, you can't eat those? I said basically nothing. Okay. Yeah. The grilled nuggets are incredible, but it's Wendy's. Todd is correct. Now, if I was in Aaron's condition, I could see why I'd make that choice. It's Wendy's, if for no other reason. When the hell is that place even open? They have like these crazy hours. They like close at two o'clock or something in our town. I notice, you know. It is kind of crazy. Like when my husband and I like will DoorDash for like extra like side yeah. cash and everything. Like they'll somebody will order it and it'll be like 11 p.m. and they're like wide open and it's like busting. And then like you're right at like 2 p.m. they're like sorry this kitchen's closed. Yeah. I'm like for what? When is it even open? And then one time we went around to go pick up an order and it was like closed and we're like looking through the doors and no one's there and so we drive around and in the back there's like six to seven Wendy's employees just taking a smoke break together like from the kitchen all of them so I think that's why they close every now and then. I mean even though I, I back in college the Monterey Ranch chicken sandwich at Wendy's was a big time go-to okay. But it, for me, it would be Wendy's. They're almost never open. I, you know, I only eat at McDonald's like one time a year. And that's for Shamrock Shakes. And so those, those have to happen. Those cannot be taken away. And, you know, uh, I, I still think Chick-fil-A's waffle fries, when done right, are the best fries on the market. And I love the grilled nuggets. So it would be Wendy's for me, just because it's almost never open. McDonald's, I just feel like... Whatever's left of America, McDonald's embodies. I mean, double quarter pounder, no bun with a large fry. I mean, I don't ask, I don't say a prayer of blessing over that meal. I ask for forgiveness, but it's it's to die for. I go to confession. a blessing. I go to confession afterwards, but it is to die for. Yes. Okay. My I, second question for you guys. So, if someone kidnapped you and told you that they'd only let you go if you could perfectly sing the words to one whole song, what song would you choose? Like, gun to your head, they're like, I'll let you go if you sing this song perfectly word for word. Every word's got to be perfect. Every single word has to be perfect, or you're done. National Anthem. Is that what you were thinking? <laughs> you sure you, all you, four you, are you sure you wouldn't Frank Drebin it? 
Uh, no. But oh, know, say can you see? Do you know all four? Na, 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 have, na, you, na, na. have you memorized all four verses? Yeah, you have to do all four. Yeah, you have to do the whole song. Yeah. Todd is dead. Todd is dead. <laughs> Mine would be Baby Beluga. I don't even know what that is. I don't even know if that. What is I've that? I've sung it to my song. Or I have, I've sung it to my song. <laughs> I've uh, sung it to my son many, many times. You've never heard of Raffi? No. What is it? What is that song? Raffi? Yeah. He's a children's artist. Very well known. Really? He's Canadian. That's the only knock on him. But yeah, he's, uh, he's good stuff. Also, the song is like a minute and a half long. So. Never ever heard of Raffi? No. No? You don't I've know never heard of that either. No. I've never even heard of that it's song. It's amazing when you are in a certain wheelhouse. Like... When I was at the register, how human Aaron almost becomes. And people both <laughs> younger than me and older than me. When I was in that sweet spot of I just had, they knew I just had four children, like six and under. Like, do you know anything about this? And I would like, you know, what? Uh, what's the one with the two kids and they, they crazy inventions and um, roller coaster and doofenshmirtz and you remember? Oh, Phineas and Ferb. Phineas and Ferb. Uh, yeah. yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. like people are like, I actually was like, oh yeah, let me. I sat down and like walked a reporter or cut a report on Phineas and Ferb. Yeah. Well, you're asking a guy who has a borderline photographic memory to recite songs he loves from that said memory. So is that what you'd say to the guy that's holding a gun to your head? You're like, I am so impressive. You're like, how many songs do you want for my life? I wouldn't do that. I'd play poker. Okay. In, internally, I'd be like, I'm going to get the bleep out of here. Okay. But this I would not, so, I would not verbalize that. This is so dace. Okay. He's not like, I'm not really worried about saving my life. I really want to nail this right yeah. now. <laughs> yes. Which one of, <laughs> what yes. key should that I would, sing That in? would be the challenge is which of these 300 songs I have memorized oh, in my head gosh. right now would I actually pick? Goodness. Okay. Um, I should have known that you would have said something like that. I will, I will take something that's a standard, but also short. You can't do happy birthday. No, okay. uh, no, but that's actually smart. <laughs> I'm so, that's actually, that's pretty good, actually. Hail to the victors. I do the, hail, oh, I do the see, victors. insufferable to that's the end. That's what I would do. Yes. Just insufferable <laughs> yes. to the end. Yes. Go blue <laughs> in your face. As I walk out, mic drop. <laughs> what a jerk. Go blue. <laughs> hail to the victors. Are you kidding me with this? I could take a myriad of Christmas songs. I mean, there's a lot of songs that my, are in my memory banks that I could just do off the top of my head. It would be, the challenge would be, and you only have 10 seconds to think of the song you're going to pick. I'd be like, what do I do? What do I do? What do I do? So I'm just going to, I'm picking the victors. I'm doing the victors. Well, now you guys know then. Like if that ever happens to you, now you I'll know. Even, I'll even clap and do the hail at the appropriate time. Yes. The whole, the whole, hey, I mean, I'm in. The whole gambit. Yes. I will stake my life on the victors yes and the other 299 songs that you know just in case <laughs> just in case yes <laughs> and then my last question for you guys is what book do you think is better than the movie adaptation of that of said book Aaron, you want to go first i can there is i mean this list is very long very very long i mean we could pick almost almost with the the exception of the shining even though the film is not much of an adaptation of the book other than the characters are called the same name. Couldn't you do this with virtually every Stephen King book? Yeah. That's been adapted to the film that the book was probably better than the movie. Could but, do it with the Harry Potter books, probably. For, for the most part. I mean, they're, they're, it's not like they're bad movies or anything like that. Um, trying to think of one that's off the board. I thought the Chronicles of Narnia was pretty good, but then again, you're, you're missing details. Uh, I think there were two or three movies that they made uh, recently. Um... 
you know what? I, I will go actually with with um, with Harry Potter, specifically the Goblet of Fire. They should have just made two movies out of that. They left way too much on the cutting room floor to uh, translate that into a movie. So I'll go with specifically the, the Goblet of Fire. That's, way better. That's a good call. First of all, I think it's one of my favorite movies in the series. Mine but too. But it's still not as, yeah. it still doesn't come Mine as close too. to the book. I think it's the second that's best the book one, in the series. That's the first movie I ever watched, Harry Potter movie I ever watched. Yeah, I mean, that that book is incredibly good. Yeah. Yeah, uh, that's a good call. I, I would say the same thing about um, Deathly Hallows. Yeah. I think that is one of the best fiction books I have ever read. Um, I'm waiting for someone to say a nefarious plot just to be a <laughs> just to kiss up. <laughs> <clears throat> Todd, what's your? I may have done that for him just to give him a. Uh, I got your back on this, but then he went go blue on the song thing. No way, I'm doing that now. No way. Um, and remember, when till we- the end, to the very last. Oh, yes. yes. When we do this, it's like when we talk about an overrated song. It doesn't mean that the song sucked. The song is in fact great. It just means so like Goblet like, of Fire. We were just talking about. I was that. gonna. Uh, I will actually. This is the uh, the Lord of the Rings. As good as the amazing as the movies are, the accomplishment, the created universe, the languages, the, I mean, so in, I mean, they, it was, it had a Star Wars effect before Star Wars. I mean, you think like Robert Plant and Led Zeppelin is writing multiple songs with the characters from the books. Mm-hmm. Not the, it, 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 it got in people's imagine, And it was just this old professor who did this i mean the books are one of the greatest pop culture they became pop culture i mean he didn't do this to be pop culture they're one of the greatest pop culture accomplishments of all time in another life i read a lot of stephen king stuff and i i cannot think of a stephen king adaptation that is that is better than any of the books so i mean i i would do this with every single one even even it chapter one which is dramatically better than it chapter two isn't anywhere near as good as it the book is and it it the book is an insane amount of talent and ability until you get to the end and then you get to the end of it the book and you're like this author should probably uh, be arrested and put away when you get to the end um the Stand is quite possibly the best fiction book I have ever read. Like, that's I would put that up there, like with a Bram Stoker's Dracula kind of level of Western classic of Western civilization. And there have been two miniseries uh, that have been done, one in the '90s and then one a couple of years ago, adapting uh, that work, and they don't even approach it. Um, I mentioned a couple of the Harry Potter examples that I think are there. But I mean, I, I, I think you could take, I'm trying to think of a movie that I thought was better than the book that I read. In, in Stephen King? And period. Well, I, any Stephen movie adaptation King, that I thought was better than the book that I read. A, I haven't read it. And B, I think he actually wrote it under like a pen name, but Shawshank Redemption. Okay. That's a possibility. Shrek. Yeah, yeah, Shrek. <laughs> Shrek. <laughs> It was a book. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> I, I could make the case. I mean, I look at uh, how many adaptations have been done of Bram Stoker's Dracula. And the most faithful adaptation and probably the best made one was Francis Ford Coppola's 30 years ago. But then he included like this entire like reincarnation angle that's like not in the book, you know. So I think I think a harder question to, to answer would be name a film adaptation that was better than the book. I, now, I would tell you, and this isn't, you know, false modesty, 
a nefarious plot is the best thing I have ever written or will ever write. I mean, I, I go back and even every time I have to go back and look at it again, I am just blown away by how layered and stuff it is. And there are stuff in that book I don't even remember writing that has my name on it. Carrie and Chuck took my material in that movie and made it better. They elevated it. They made my material even better. I was, but I think that's rare. I think it is rare that the film elevates the material of the book that it's adapted from. Really rare. Doesn't happen very often. I mean, can you guys think of two or three examples off the top of your head? No, that's where, my point. I haven't yeah. read it, but have you, Shawshank? Have you read the original? No, I have not, but I had forgotten. And what that, was that pen name that I he used? Was like, it Richard Starkey? Or, no, that's something. Wasn't, that's, wasn't Forrest Gump a uh, book as well? Richard Starkey is. Ringo Starr, my bad. I think you're right. Yes, you're right. That was a book too. That's yeah. a good movie. Yeah. But no, I don't, I haven't, having not read the book, I can't really make a judgment. You know, I can give you a film adaptation that's better than the book. The film adaptation of Joshua is better than the book. I mean, the book's okay. The film adaptation is better. And the rest of the books in that series are kind of, meh. That's one. That's a very obscure faith-based film from the early 2000s. It's not often that the film adaptation is better than the book. Yeah, I'd have to ask, like, I haven't, my, my girls uh, have read them, but um, Hunger Games. See, See I was just thinking about the you have, you tell I us. read all three, I read the second <clears throat> Hunger Games in a day. Okay. Because I loved those books. Mm-hmm. I, I definitely think the movies helped elevate it, but kind of like to what Aaron was talking about with Harry Potter earlier, the Hunger Games books have way more detail in them than what's shown in the movie a lot of times. But, like, the people that they cast and stuff in the movie were, like, spot-on perfect. Like, it brought it out of the page. So I thought that really elevated it. But, yeah, again, there were details, and I did enjoy the books more than the movies. I did like the movies, though, a lot. Okay. Is that it? That's it. Those are good questions. Thank you. Thank you, sweetie. All right. Gentlemen, uh, we've got two minutes. Final thoughts on today's show. Aaron, you get to go first. So, Dr. Turek, I meant to mention this um, after we had him on. Um, rest in peace to your inbox for for noting <clears throat> correctly, I might add, that Harry Potter is actually, at least his uh, his story arc is actually, um, you know, kind of based on, on, on Jesus a little bit. So, rest in peace to your inbox. It's steve at stevedace.com. That's that's not his inbox. That's mine. Um, did I miss something? That's my inbox. Todd, uh, do you think the uh, are, you, are you going to troll the audience and give out my email address as well? Or I don't know. Somebody had. Do, do we know the guy who had our email last night? Who uh, <laughs> came after me? And is that are the, is that the same tribe, Aaron? Anti Harry Potter and anti Catholicism. Don't make me answer that. Okay. Don't make me answer that question. Some of you, some of you people, got to read what you write before you send it. Because <clears throat> good grief! Clearly, when I said on the show the other day, "Who was a Christian between Constantine and the Reformation?" Make some of you there, pray. There, there, there's a few people that have been broken by me. That looking at my inbox, a few people were broken by that question. They just, they were broken by it, and and allowed that question to do to them basically what Beth Moore allowed Donald Trump to do to her. Oh. Okay. Just just broken. Just asserting <laughs> fantastical nonsensical things just <laughs> just broken. You know, like the kinds of things that are like you guys are going to make me defend the Catholics. Stop it. Okay, this is ridiculousness. Come on. Stop. Please stop right now. All right, before you turn me into catholicanswers.com. Stop it. Okay, please. 
Challenge accepted. It's ridiculous. <laughs> I just figured, you know what? Aaron already lit up my inbox. Let's just go ahead and throw some kerosene on that puppy, right? Thank you. I All right, it. we're back at it again tomorrow, noon to 2 Eastern for Blaze TV subscribers. We're going to stick around and record overtime for you at blazetv.com slash dace. Until the next time, John 317. This is Steve Dace. On the Blaze Radio Network.